0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chamba life is for everybody. So go to ChambaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChambaCasino.com No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Yemen is currently afflicted with the single worst humanitarian crisis the world has ever seen. Undoubtedly, if you follow international news media sources, you would have seen this posted on their stories, their walls, or their news headlines depending on your preferred source of media intake. The political crisis officially began in 2011, but its roots are sown far beyond that. In March of 2020, the civilian death toll was reported at over 7,700 deaths, with the total fatality count estimated at around a hundred and thousand deaths. Almost 18 million people do not have access to clean water. Less than half of Yemen's hospitals are functioning, and along with airstrikes, the medics have to deal with one of the worst outbreaks of cholera in the modern world. This is not to mention the pandemic. Almost 80% of the population of 28 million people requires some form of humanitarian assistance, with nearly 20 million people struggling to procure food. The numbers are mortifying, and I could go on and on about the crisis, but I wouldn't be doing my due diligence without looking at the historical and political context for what caused this war. So welcome to another episode of Mattifile, where today we'll try unpacking and understanding what's going on in Yemen. Yemen is the 49th largest country in the world, located at the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula in West Africa. It has a population of around 28 million people and is bordered by Saudi Arabia to the north, Oman to the east, the Gulf of Aden to the south, and the Red Sea to its west. Before we go through the story of how present-day Yemen came to be, there are several cities that I will end up talking about and it might be useful to take a quick overview of these cities and where they're located. The city of Sana'a is located in the midwestern region of Yemen and it's their national capital. Taiz is the third largest city in Yemen and it's located on the southwestern coast and it borders the Red Sea. Aden is a southern port city with incredible historical importance and has been Yemen's temporary capital since 2015. Finally, Zabid is located on Yemen's western coastal plain, slightly north of Taiz. The Yemeni highlands are located mainly along the western coast of Yemen and stand between the coastal cities of Zabid and Taiz and central Yemen. The northern highlands are of added importance in Yemen's history and you'll see why shortly. I know it's confusing and I would urge you to look at a map to figure this out either now or after the episode is over. But it's worth keeping in mind that these cities are of historical and current geopolitical importance. Which which intuitively makes sense, as Zabid, Aden and Taiz are all coastal cities and form important ports of trade for Yemen's economic prosperity and viability. We know of the existence of settlements in Yemen as early as 5000 BCE. Scholars argue that around the third millennia BCE, Semitic peoples of the South Arabian Peninsula united under the leadership of the semi-legendary Qatan and distinguished themselves from the North Arabian ancestry of Adnan, both of whom are chronicled as descendants of Ishmael. Scriptures also have documented the construction of trade routes across the Red Sea around this time and archaeologists have uncovered megalithic enclosures dating back to the Neolithic period and Bronze Age in modern-day Yemen. The documented history of the South Arabian Peninsula and Yemen begins in around the 9th century BCE, with the Kingdom of Sabah. The Sabayan Kingdom was centred in the Asir region, which now lies in southwestern Saudi Arabia, and saw the flourishing of agriculture due to the development of an advanced irrigation system consisting of intricate pipelines and dams. The capital was the city of Marib, where a large temple was built, and Khana was an important centre for Sabaean trade. The Sabaeans developed trade across the Red Sea and the Gaza Strip, using camels as their preferred mode of transport. Traded goods included spices like frankincense and myrrh and oftentimes even gold. Simultaneously, the Arabian Peninsula saw the kingdom of Hadramoth, Osan, Qatban and Ma'in, all of whom had territory in the region of modern-day Yemen. The kingdoms of Himyar and Aksum came next. The Himyarites eventually united southern Arabia in the 2nd century BCE, gaining control of the Red Sea and the Gulf of Ardan. They gradually absorbed the Sabaean Kingdom. In the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantius II sent an embassy with the intention of converting the Himyar people to Christianity. Several scripts chronicle the ruling house's resistance to this foreign intervention and the protection of the Jewish peoples. In the 5th century, the Himyarite king changed the state religion of the Himyar kingdom to Judaism which saw the mass persecution of Christians and saw the state increasingly divided in, a religious eth- in an ethno-religious conflict. The kingdom of Aksum, which divided away from the kingdom of Himyar shortly after they managed to absorb the Sabaean kingdom, was able to capture the Himyarite kingdom capital Zifar in the first half of the 3rd century. The Aksumite Kingdom had its capital in, and you probably guessed it, in Aksum, and the kingdom is located in modern-day Ethiopia and Eritrea, so it's across the Red Sea from the Kingdom of Denhemyar In the 4th century, the Roman Church's mission to Ethiopia, or the Kingdom of Aksum, converted the Aksum leadership to Christianity, which paved way for the construction of the Orthodox Ethiopian Church. In 1515. The Aqsum leaders pioneered an intervention as the last Himyarite king, who was also Christian, was supported by the Aqsumite kingdom and they pioneered this intervention against his Jewish rivals in the kingdom of Himyar. Yemenite Christians, with the support of Aqsum and Byzantium, expanded to southern Iraq and systemically persecuted Jewish populations and burned down several synagogues across the land around this period. I have to preemptively apologize, because starting now, I will give you a volley of dates. It is worth noting that these dates and the numbers in particular are not as important as understanding how the natural progression of events worked in the Kingdom of Yemen and the Arabian Peninsula. So let's get started. After the death of Madikarib Yafur in 521 CE, Yusuf Asar Yathur, a Jewish warlord, sought to avenge the persecution of the Jewish people killing several thousands of people as he reclaimed Yemeni territory and cut off Aksum's supply chains to the Arabian Peninsula. Aided by other Jewish warlords, Yusuf managed to wipe out the Christian community in Najran, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia bordering Yemen. The tripartite alliance of the Byzantines, the Arab Christians and the Aksumites did not allow Yusuf to consolidate power and overthrew him to install a Christian king to the Himyarite throne shortly after. The Kingdom of Yemen thus served as an Arabian outpost for the Roman Church as they sought to wage war against the Persian Empire. The Sasanid Empire, a Persian imperial dynasty annexed Aden, the port city, around 570 CE, and subsequent centuries saw the fall of the South Arabian Empire. Several small clans began controlling the regions of modern-day Yemen relatively independently of one another. At this point, I've somewhat glossed over the conflict among these competing kingdoms within the peninsula, as well as other kingdoms that were occasionally engaged in expansionist conflict that all make for incredibly interesting reads. But for the purposes of this podcast, there might be slightly too many names and places to keep track of all at once. Also, a quick apology is due to any ancient historians for not being incredibly thorough with the name of the various kings and the intricate religio-political conflict. But you get the general gist. Up until now, Yemen controlled a crucial trade route across the Red Sea and therefore fell in the crossfire of the Semitic Kingdom and Christian influence. The 7th century CE saw the entrance of Islam into the fray and its interaction with the two dominant religions of the land. In 630 CE, the Prophet Muhammad sent his cousin Ali to Sana'a, the then largest city in Yemen, and saw several confederations and tribes accept Islam, sending delegates to Medina to pledge allegiance to this religion. The reign of the first four Caliphs after the death of the Prophet Muhammad was called the Rashidun Caliphate. Yemeni tribes played a pivotal role in the Islamic expansion to Egypt, Iraq, Persia, the Levant, Antolia, North Africa, Sicily and Andalusia. Despite the influence of Yemeni tribes and their settlement in regions of northern Africa, effective control over the entirety of Yemen was not established by either the Rashidun Caliphate or the following Umayyad Caliphate. The death of the Prophet Muhammad also saw the schisming of Islam between Sunni and Shia Islam. The schism was predicated on who they saw as the rightful successor to the Prophet Muhammad, and this in the context of Yemen will make sense in a bit. Soon though, Sana'a came under the control of Ibadi Islam, a school originating from Oman in 746 CE, which was born before the Shia-Sunni Divide. The Abadis lost control of the coastal strip to the Ziyadid dynasty, a sect of Shia Islam, despite still maintaining control over most of Yemen's mainland. A Himyarite-Sunni Islamic clan called the Euphrates ruled the highlands of Yemen. This division of Yemen, sustained over most of the 8th and 9th centuries, between the Ziyadids, the Eufrids, and the Ibadid dynasty. The Ziyadid Kingdom saw the arrival of the first Zaydi Imam, Yahya ibn al-Husayn, in Yemen in 893 CE, founding the Zaydi Imamate. The Zaydi Imamate slowly expanded its influence across mainland Yemen, but were not able to subsume the Sunni Eufrid state. Between 901 and 915, the city of Sana'a was conquered almost 20 times by the Eufrids and the Karmatians, who were a syncretic branch of Shia Islam that grew stronger around the same time as the Shia Zaidi Caliphate. In 989 CE, the Sunni Ufrid dynasty attacked Zabid and severely weakened the Ziyadid dynasty and the Zaidi Caliphate. Next came the rise of the Shia dynasty called the Salehid, in the Northern Highlands in 1040 CE. This was after the Ziadids were incredibly weak and Yemen was broken up into small distinct kingdoms following their own different sects of Islam. In 1060, Ali ibn Muhammad bin Sulayhi conquered Zabid and then conquered Aden in 62 and by 1063 had conquered most of greater Yemen. After the conquest, al Sulayhi gave control of the empire to his son who further forfeited control over to his wife Arwa al Salehi. Queen Arwa moved the capital from Sana'a to Jibla and sent Islamic missions to India, ruling a sovereign Yemen until her death in 1138 CE. After the Salehis in 1174, Zabid and 10 years subsequently Sana'a fell under the rule of the Ayyubids, who finally captured North Yemen from the Zaydis as well. They ruled on until the 13th century and were followed by the Rasulid dynasty, which was established by Ibn al-Rasul in Zabid in 1230 CE. Around about this time, Baghdad, the capital of Iraq and the Abbasid Caliphate, and also the third largest city in the Arab world, was captured by Mongol troops under the leadership of Hulagu Khan, grandson of Genghis Khan. The Mongol Empire was not religiously defined, and so Hulagu Khan took the aid of Christian vassals in Western Asia and expanded the Mongol Empire further westward into Syria. The fall of Baghdad saw Al Musafar Yusuf I, son of Umar bin Rasul, declared himself Caliph and declared his capital as the city of Taiz. Rasulid rule continued until the mid-15th century and saw the creation of several madrasas to strengthen Sunni schools of thought, developing agriculture and trade programs to fortify the economic viability of the Yemeni state. The fall of the Rasulid empire in the 1450s saw a weak, decentralized rule in most of Yemen, with the Banu Teher clan claiming Zabid, Aden and Radha for just over 50 years, and improving on the built infrastructure of these cities. In 1517, the Mamluks of Egypt allied with the Zaydi Imams who through all this time had control over some small northern Yemeni territories in the northern highlands. This alliance conquered all of the Tehrite area but Aden by 1517. Shortly after this though, the Ottoman Empire conquered Egypt and then expanded into Yemen in 1538 the Zaidi tribesmen did mount a resistance to incoming Turkish forces and resisted an annexation of the entirety of Yemen despite a second wave of invasion in 1547. Zabid and southern Yemen subsequently were made into an Ottoman Eyalit, an Eyalit being the primary administrative division of an expanding Ottoman Empire. Under Turkish rule, Mahmud Pasha, an unscrupulous and corrupt Ottoman statesman, killed a Sunni scholar in Ib, a city south of Sana'a, this act united the divided Islamic populations in the rest of Yemen. Ridwan Pasha took over after the death of Mahmud Pasha and the Imam al-Mutahar rallied Yemeni tribes to wage war against the Ottomans, capturing Sana'a and by 1568, Zabid remained the only city under Ottoman control. In 1570, the Ottomans retook Taiz, Aden, and Ib and in 1583 they reconquered Sana'a as well after the death of Imam al-Mutahar as after this death, Zaidi clans were not united. The Ottomans managed to hold on to most of Yemen, with Zaidi conquests temporarily gaining control over some cities. Finally, in 1634, the Imam al muyad Muhammad captured Zabid and his successor Al-Mutawakil Ismail conquered Yemen in its entirety. Al-Mutawakil thus formed the strongest state under Zaidi rule and implemented some of the harshest discriminatory laws against the Jewish citizens of Yemen. This eventually led to their exile, to the arid region of the Tihama coastal plain in an event known as the exile of Mawza. During this period, Yemen's geostrategic importance, coupled with the fact that they were the sole producer of coffee globally, allowed them to develop diplomatic ties with Ethiopia Persia, the Ottoman Empire, and the Mughal Empire in India. Yemen's coffee monopoly was broken in the 18th century, and in the mid-19th century, the Zaidi Empire descended back into chaos. Yemen did manage to secure a protection and friendship treaty from the British Empire after they tried mounting a somewhat unsuccessful invasion in Aden in 1839. Under the treaty, the British had their presence established in the port city of Aden, controlling some trade routes. The chaos of the Zaidi state allowed for a return of the Ottoman Empire to the coastal country of Yemen in 1815. They consolidated their rule amid infighting between Zaidi imams and conquered Sana'a in 1873. The Ottomans still faced resistance from highland Zaidi tribes but tried garnering the support of the Jewish populations of Yemen by declaring the Yemeni states secular and allowing the Jewish populations to reclaim a nationalist narrative for their religion. The highland tribes had after centuries of resistance, developed a particular hatred for the Turkish Ottomans and refused any imposition of centralized foreign rule on them. In 1890, the Northern tribes united and in 1904 led a rebellion against the Turks under the leadership of Imam Yahya Hamid al The revolts continued for seven years before the Ottomans in 1911 signed a treaty that recognized Imam Yahya as the autonomous leader of the Zaidi Northern Highlands before the Ottomans left altogether in 1918. On Ottoman departure, Yahya tried reclaiming all of Yemen, picking up disputes with the Idrisids, Ibn Saud and the British government in Aden, who all controlled some territory in Yemen. In 1925, Imam Yahya captured al hadaidid and Asir from the Idrisids, but their approaches on the British-controlled Aden, Taiz and Ib were stopped by British bombs dropped from aircrafts, technologies that they could not hope to match at that time. In 1926, the Italian Empire recognized Yahya as the King of Yemen, much to the annoyance of the British occupancy who were at loggerheads with Italy in the years leading up to the Second World War. In 1932, the Idrisis, who were previously aligned with Ibn Saud, turned to Imam Yahya after Ibn Saud sought to expand Saudi claim, while the British aligned themselves with Ibn Saud, much to the dismay of the Idrisids. After military confrontation, Saud and Yahya announced a ceasefire in 1934 and signed a treaty that divided the Yemeni state into North Yemen or the Mutawakkilite Kingdom and South Yemen. The Mutawakilite Kingdom was a theocratic monarchy with Imam Yahya at its head and contained the cities of Sana'a and Taiz. British sovereignty was recognized over South Yemen with its capital in the port city of Aden. Saudi Arabia was allied with South Yemen for the time being as the House of Saud was a Sunni stronghold, while the Zaidi imamite was a Shia sect. As the years progressed, the monarchy in North Yemen was strongly critiqued for its lack of effort to modernize by both its citizens and other Middle Eastern states. After the death of Ahmad bin Yahya in 1962, army officers tried seizing control, sparking the North Yemen civil war. The military rebels were supported by Egypt and saw them overthrow the monarchy to found the Yemen Arab Republic in 1968. Simultaneously, in South Yemen, two nationalist groups which were the Front for the Liberation of Occupied South Yemen and the National Liberation Front began an armed struggle known as the Aden emergency in 1963 against British control. Subsequently, by 1967, they had forced a handover of territory from Britain and declared the People's Republic of Southern Yemen an independent state. In 1969, a Marxist wing of the National Liberation Front assumed power and reorganized South Yemen into the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen, thereby establishing close ties with USSR, China and the Palestine Liberation Organization. The nationalisation programme they adopted saw an introduction of central planning, limitations on private property, and the implementation of land reform, which ensured a burst of economic activity. Further, the state secularised religion and state law, and saw an introduction of equal rights for men and women. North and South Yemen maintained mostly peaceful relations up until 1972, when rebels from the Saudi Arabian League, backed by Saudi Arabia, attacked eastern South Yemen. Saudi Arabia continued to back North Yemen through the brief conflict that ensued and ended in a ceasefire which called for an eventual unification of Yemen. In 1979, seven years hence, a second civil war was sparked after the death of the North Yemeni president Ahmad al-Ghashmi, as rumours circulated that South Yemen had been supplying Marxist rebels in North Yemen with arms. With South Yemen poised to win this conflict, a bilateral ceasefire was once again called in the Kuwait agreement of 1979, in which Iraq, Syria, and Kuwait further pushed for a united Yemen. In 1986, South Yemen experienced yet another internal civil war. Across these three civil wars and the ones before, several thousands were killed and injured. In 1990, the governments of North and South Yemen finally reached an agreement to unify Yemen. Their ruling or majority party, the General People's Congress, was a nationalist party that sought Arab world unification. As it quite logically follows, the Yemeni president strongly opposed any non-Arab intervention in the Islamic world and in various instances did not vote in favour of or abstained at United Nations Security Council resolutions concerning wars in Iraq and Kuwait. Their refusal to comply enraged the US and Saudi Arabia, acted on the United States' behest, expelling around 750,000 Yemeni migrants who had settled in Saudi Arabia. The government of Yemen was mostly cooperative among various political parties, but Saudi Arabia brokered several patronage payments to tribes that sought independence from Yemen, creating some political instability. After a brief stint of political infighting and teething problems post-unification, Ali Abdullah Saleh became Yemen's first directly elected president in the 1999 elections. He developed closer ties with the US and Saleh was re-elected into office in 2006. In 2004, the Saleh government tried arresting the Zaidi religious leader Hussein Badruddin al-Houthi, which sparked an insurgency led by his followers and sowed the seeds for the current war this is probably the best approximation of a starting point to the current humanitarian crisis. The revolution and the Houthi insurgency is complicated and interesting enough to do an entire other episode on it, but I reckon if you've stuck around up until now, you don't particularly want me to stretch this for another 30-odd minutes. But understanding the Houthi insurgency is critical in understanding why the state of Yemen is as it is currently. So in 2004... Government troops battled the supporters of al-Houthi in the northwestern province of Sada and succeeded in killing the religious leader al-Houthi. In 2005, the supporters of the murdered Imam adopted the name of the Houthis and continued the existing insurgency, with a death toll crossing 2,500 bodies and a cost to state an estimated 270 million US dollars the government tried stemming the conflict by offering a presidential pardon to rebels that was promptly rejected. Between 2006 and 2009, the fighting continued in pockets, with some ceasefires lasting a few months and temporary agreements instated between the rebels and the governance to try avert the conflict. Examples of such agreements include the rebels accepting exile into Qatar should the government release Houthi prisoners. In late 2009, the conflict took a turn for the worse. The Yemeni military announced Operation Scorched Earth to try bomb Houthi camps in the north and captured what they claim was an Iranian boat with anti-tank shells to arm Houthi rebels. The Houthis also attacked the Saudi Arabian border, seizing Al-Khubar on the claim that the Saudi government was aiding the military in attacking the rebels. Saudi Arabia responded with heavy airstrikes against the Houthi strongholds, evacuating Saudi citizens from nearby areas to continue the same. A strong alliance with the United States of America meant that attacks in Saudi Arabia were retaliated doubly in force by means of US airstrikes on Houthi bases in northern Yemen. Despite all this, the city of Sada still remained a Houthi stronghold. It is also worth keeping in mind that in all this time the houthi rebels were also engaged in fighting pro-government rebel groups with a death toll and with their death toll continually increasing and then came the arab spring in 2011 the arab spring is a phrase used to describe a series of anti-government protests that began in tunisia quickly spreading to egypt bahrain libya and of course to yemen in january of 2011 16,000 citizens marched to Sana'a protesting against the Saleh government. The protests over the coming months expanded to Taiz and Aden with the principal demand that the Saleh government step down. The government rejected any rebel demands for the formation of a transitional government and brokered a deal with the Gulf Cooperation Council of which Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman and the United Arab Emirates are all members to try transfer Saleh's power to Abdurrahmansoor Hadi, his then vice-president. The opposition parties, including the Houthis meanwhile, formed their own 17-member transitional council on grounds that the government did not represent them. Hadi ran unopposed in a presidential election in 2012 and assumed office, a move that was quite intuitively not liked by a single opposition party. So by 2012, You had a deep schism in Yemen, with a Saudi Arabian-backed Sunni president in Hadi and an independent council comprising mainly Shia rebels, including the Houthis, claiming control of the Yemeni state. The Houthis kept up their fight against the Sunni pro-government rebel groups, as well as Yemeni military factions across Yemen. Both the Houthis and the government were simultaneously engaged not only in a conflict on ground, but also a propaganda war to try to attract as much Yemeni support as possible. In 2014, the Houthis began a series of demonstrations in Sana'a against a hike in fuel prices. Their popularity in the capital city was already increasing due to the nationalistic fervour sparked by the Arab Spring, juxtaposed with the alliance of the Yemeni government with the United States of America. The protests turned violent between the government forces and the Houthis, while simultaneously Al-Qaeda also decided to launch an attack against Houthi forces. In 2015, Houthi forces attacked the presidential palace, forcing Hadi to resign and putting a revolutionary committee with Muhammad Ali al-Houthi as its head, claiming charge of the country. Hadi was placed in house arrest but escaped soon after and fled to Aden. He condemned the Houthi takeover as illegitimate and declared that Aden was the provincial capital of Yemen. The Houthis mobilized troops to South Yemen against Hadi, but a Saudi Arabian-led intervention backed Hadi in Aden, bombing several Houthi strongholds in 2017. The Houthi leadership subsequently retaliated against Saudi Arabia, firing missiles to the Saudi Arabian capital of Riyadh in 2018 as well as engaging in drone strikes. The Saudi intervention was not limited to airstrikes though. They implemented blockades on Yemeni ports controlled by Houthi forces. The port blockade implemented by Saudi Arabia has been critical in exacerbating the humanitarian crisis as it has starved out not just the Houthi leadership but also starved out millions of Yemeni civilians who depend on incoming and imported food and water resources for their sustenance. The conflict has shown no signs of quelling and has become a regional power struggle between the Iran-backed Shia Houthis and the Saudi-backed Sunni parties. It's rendered the Red Sea shipping route, which provides Europe access to Asia via the Suez Canal, a dangerous route and is having an impact on global trade. The US has been supplying the Saudi-backed forces with arms to help consolidate Sunni claim in Yemen, as well as carrying out their own drone strikes in the country. The Islamic State or IS and Al Qaeda have also launched offenses against Houthi forces since 2015. And here you'll note quite quickly that the US is fighting two separate wars of sorts in the Arabian Peninsula. While on one hand they're supporting Saudi in their push to reinstate the Hadi regime, on the other, they've been carrying out their own drone strikes against the IS and the Al Qaeda. What makes this rather interesting is that there are reports that Saudi Arabia has been funding and supplying the IS and Al-Qaeda forces in their fight against the Houthis as well, as well as other rebel groups. This is of course in addition to the pro-rebel groups that I've spoken about already that are also engaged in a war against the Houthis. The Saudi-led coalition has argued time and time again that their intervention in Yemen is legitimate on grounds that they've been invited to do so. In the case of Yemen this does seem like a bit of a legal loophole considering that the Saudi are claiming the legitimate government is the government that they instated and has therefore called them in to intervene against an illegitimate government that they do not support. Of course the Saudi led intervention on the behest of the Hadi government has caused an irreparable loss of lives through airstrikes in all Houthi controlled regions thus far and the conflict has only gotten more divisive. As of June 2020, the Houthi Council has claimed over most of mid- and northwestern Yemen, including the cities of Sada, Ib, and Sana'a, while the Hadi regime has control over Aden and Taiz. There has also been a resurgence of the Southern Separatist movement that seeks the division of Yemen back into North and South Yemen called the Southern Transitional Council. There is an incredible article mapping out the conflict from the European Council of Foreign Relations and I'd urge all of you to have a quick look at it to better understand the situation on ground. And that brings us to now, a refugee crisis as most of the population has been displaced and is deprived of food, water and electricity. A humanitarian crisis with international charities including UNICEF and the Red Cross trying their level best to send supplies into the country. Amnesty International has projected that should the war continue, Yemen will become the poorest nation in the world and the only nation in the world to be deprived of clean water. The WHO and the World Food Programme believe that Yemen is on the brink of a famine and their medical supplies are in dire shortage. Couple that with not only Covid-19, but also the worst outbreak of cholera in the world and you have a pretty dystopian scene. I know it's been a long episode. And I know you've probably tuned off by now, but I cannot stress enough just how dire the situation in Yemen is. In the next episode, I'll look at the biodiversity, natural resources and possibility of trade in Yemen, and look at the economic reforms that contributed to the current economic depravity of Yemen. While I could assay directions in which the crisis might proceed, especially with international charities and aid, I'm not particularly fond of empty conjecture especially in a world that is so uncertain and in dire shortage of medical supplies. But I'd urge you, if you have any money to spare, any money you might have saved by not shopping online or eating in a restaurant during the pandemic, consider donating it to charities that are trying their level best to save lives in Yemen. A few that I can recommend, and this by no means is an exhaustive list of all the work that is going on in Yemen right now, are the UNICEF, Save the Children, the Ummah Welfare Trust, the UNHRC, the Islamic Relief Fund, and Doctors Without Borders. There are a lot of moving parts in the conflict of Yemen. And for the sake of conciseness, I, and most likely all other reports that you've seen online, have glossed over a fair bit of these. Hopefully though, this does give you a peek into just how bad and dire the crisis in Yemen is, and what's causing it and encourages you to better inform yourself on the crisis in the Arabian Peninsula. Thank you once again for joining me on Matterphile. This has been Yemen.
0: 18 plus.